It's good to be back. I was here 30 years ago, so it's good to be in the preaching rotation. I look forward to seeing you in 2051. Um, I hope I'm still around and still kicking. But when Jerry Dorenzo said, um, we're having our global impact, GIC, global impact, I'm assuming, global impact conference uh, in October, uh, would I be available? I said, I would love to come, but I'm not available that particular Sunday. Is it possible I could come the Sunday before? And so he talked to the elders, I think, and they said, yes, please come and preach anything that God puts on your heart. And I said, well, that is, that's fun. And so I did want to address the topic of world evangelization. And then knowing the Cochrane family, um, and Kathy, I did not realize you would be here this morning, but Debbie and I were part of a church plant in Atlanta, and three young female graduates of CIU came to that church plant in Atlanta, Kathy Cochran, you know her, Kathy Miller, Annette North, some may know her as Annette Elder, Julie Pettigrew's uh, married name is... Alice, that's right. I could not remember that. So these three young ladies, some would say they had this passion for world evangelization in their heart. I would say they were um, quite the harassers. But they came up to me and said, you do not have a vision for world evangelization. I said, you are absolutely wrong. I do. I do. All we have to do is share the gospel. I'm big on sharing the gospel. Disciple them. Until they can go out and lead, share the gospel, lead other people to Christ and disciple them. They said, listen, if you do that, the world will never be reached. I said, no, I've been trained by Campus Crusade for Christ, by the Navigators, and they've told me that if you lead people to Christ and disciple them and they go out and reproduce, we will reach the world for Christ. They said, no, you're thinking, they didn't use these words, but I will use these words. You're thinking that the world is made up of pancakes. You take the syrup of God's love and forgiveness, pour it on the pancake, and the good news spreads to the edges of the pancake. They said, no, the world is not made up of pancakes. The world's made up of waffles. It's making me hungry. You take, you take the syrup of God's love and forgiveness, you pour it on the waffle, and it gets caught in these cultural pockets. There are cultural barriers that keep the gospel from spreading to the edges of the pancake. And those pockets without the syrup are called unreached people groups. And I said, I get it. They said, no, you don't. They said, you need to go to CIU if you really want to get it. And from that conversation, within weeks of that conversation, Debbie and I made two major decisions that have impacted the life, our life ever since. It was 34 years ago. Decision number one, Jason Butler, who's here with his family, would you four stand up? Jason and Sonia, Giovanna and Gabriel, and they're from Brazil, and they came all the way here because they heard that I'm in the preaching rotation at Woodland Hills, and they came all the way from Brazil to hear me preach this morning. So would you welcome them, please? Jason was 19 years old at the time. And I said, Jason, would you like to launch a missions organization and let's reach the world for Christ? 
Otherwise, Kathy Cochran's going to be so upset with me. He said, absolutely. We've been together for 34 years, and they've lived in Brazil the last, or <laughs> you know, all your lives, but Jason lasts 25 years. And the second decision we made was since I was told I knew nothing about missions, I started a doctoral program in missions, on probation, by the way, at CIU, and I've never left either organization for 34 years. Now, we do have some other guests, and Marcos Hayes, Marcos, you've been on staff with Crossover 18 years, is that what we figured out? 18 years. He grew up in Brazil, went first to Egypt, now he's in, that's okay, see, now he's in Jordan, and um, if any Muslims are listening by through the video, I can give you his address too. Um, he'll lead you to Christ before you do harm to him. And so Marcus is a dear friend. His Arabic is impeccable. He makes me sick because my language acquisition skills are minimal at best. And then of course, you know Kevin and Zoe. When, um, how many years ago did Turkish World Outreach merge in the crossover? That's what I was thinking eight, eight years ago. Um, part of the package deal was Kevin, and we've been together ever since. So, Kevin, thank you. If you just wouldn't talk so much. So, um, of course, to look around the room, Sam, how many years ago were you at CIE? Uh, oh, man, I think I started almost seven. So, it's been about 14 years since I started CIE. Yeah, long time ago. You're still good looking, so, so, and you can sing like an angel, something I cannot. So, so anyway, crossover, um, I'm going to have more of a crossover hat on today, although what we do at CIU, as you know, we educate students from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. That's what we do. And I see a lot of future CIU students out here, and I, I can't wait to see you soon. And Giovanna's there right now. She's a law student down in Brazil, but she's here getting a year's worth of Bible uh, before she returns. So since our inception, Perry, let's, let's start here. This slide is, I put this slide together like two weeks ago, and it's already outdated. So we have started 2,667 churches among Muslims and Hindus. And we love to go to the hard places of the world. So we're going to show you four um, slides. What do these churches look like? Now, if you think thumb, if you think thumb, T-H-U-M-B, it's just an easy way to remember there are five major groups or affinity blocks of unreached people groups. So tribal, T-H-U-M-B, tribal. We've planted a couple, eight maybe, churches among Gypsies, and we would categorize them as more of the tribal. But here, Hindu. This is an example of a church. They're all house churches. Where we go often, it's just illegal to have a church. So this is a Hindu. And then let's look at unreligious. What would be the most popular, populous country uh, for unreligious people? China. Here's, here's a little house church in China. And the one that started this church is a CIU grad and a missionary through Crossover Global. Unreligious. What's the M? That's right, Muslim. So here's, I think I picked Uzbekistan. Is this, go ahead, Perry. 
Yes, Uzbekistan. In, in, in their culture, it's disrespectful to worship God sitting down. You're either flat on the ground, you're kneeling, you're standing. So in, in their little house churches, they would never be sitting in chairs. They'd be sitting on the floor. And then here's a church in Nepal. So they're, they're small. So I say 2,667. Um, they're, they're not churches like this, although some may have this many. Uh, some of the ones we started back in the 90s would be quite large, more in Eastern Europe. So we're excited about that. But we love to go into the hard places of the world and share the gospel. And I just got this figure last week. Since January 1st, 2019, so almost three years ago, we have baptized 25,034. So let's just, no, I hate going down. Um, 25,000 people, Muslims and Hindus, we've baptized in less than three years. Now, since COVID, it's, it's really hindered us a lot. But by God's grace, things are God's blessing. So anyway, that's Crossover Global. But today, I, I want to, as I was praying and think about, thinking about how can I help set the stage for next week? The GIC. And so I thought I'd do this. The Bible, the Bible, it not only teaches us what to believe, and it not only teaches us how to live, but it also teaches us how to minister. It also teaches us how to minister. Now, as I came in early this morning, I heard Jesse. Where did Jesse go? I heard Jesse. And you were kind of asking some questions about Jude and about Abram. And you were, you were giving a little quiz almost. So I thought, that's a great idea. So I want to give you a quiz. Um, go one slide, Perry. But stop there. Don't go any further, please, sir. All right. So here's the quiz. And depending on how, how you answer this question, rightly or wrongly, will depend, will determine how big your mansion in heaven's going to be. So, you really need to get this right. How long did Jesus minister with the twelve? Yes. <laughs> Who said that? Very good. All right. Any other answers? Do you agree or disagree with that? Three? How many say three? Raise your hands. Okay, you're all wrong. Um, and if you say three and a half, you know, you know well, that's pretty fancy because it is maybe close to three and a half. It's a very good answer, by the way. And everybody gives that answer. But prepositions are important. How long did Jesus minister with the twelve? All right, Perry, let's go to the next one. A year and a half. How long did he minister to the twelve? Three, three and a half years. Now you say, wait a second. I've been taught all my life. I've been taught since vacation Bible school, Sunday school, in church. All my life I've always heard Jesus had a three to three and a half year ministry with the twelve apostles. Now, where do we get that? You have your Bibles? I want you to turn to Mark chapter 3, verse 14. 
Mark chapter 3, verse 14. So Jesus goes to the mountain and he summons those whom he wants and he appoints 12. Okay? So we go to that, that chapter and that verse. Look here. Here's, here's Jesus appointing the 12. And we say, This is the start of his ministry. He appoints 12 to be with him, to send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Then the next few verses says, And he appoints Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, and John, the son of Zebedee. He gave them the name of um, uh, Boanerges. Then um, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Cananean, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Right? Did I get that right, Sam? Okay. Now, that's Mark chapter 3. It's only been two chapters since Mark chapter 1. Now, I want you to flip over to Mark chapter 1. So, Mark chapter 3, Jesus calls the 12. But in Mark chapter 1, pick up in verse 16, Jesus is going along by the Sea of Galilee. You see that? And he sees Simon and Andrew, Simon's Peter, in the boat, mending their nets, and he immediately calls them and they leave their nets and follow Jesus. Now, did you catch what we just read? Here in Mark chapter 3, he calls the 12 to be with him and to send them out to preach. So when did this event happen in Mark chapter 1? And you've read Mark chapter 1 before you got to Mark chapter 3, right? But for some reason, we don't think about that chapter. We don't put things in context. We don't keep it harmonized. We just forget about it. Now, over the years, well, let's go on the next couple of verses. And going a little further, he sees um, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, and he calls them, and they lead their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and go and follow Jesus. So, I have heard two preachers over the years say they try to be faithful to the Scripture, and they get to Mark chapter 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. This is the first time any of the 12 disciples or apostles, I may go back and forth, I may say 12 disciples, the first time they've ever been mentioned. And so to be faithful to Scripture, they say, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. But catch this. I'm at lunch today after church, and I see Paul eating, and I say, let's say I've never met Paul. Let's say some stranger walks up to Paul, and he says, follow me. Now. And Paul would go, no, I don't know you. And if I don't know you, I don't trust you. And if I don't trust you, I'm certainly not going to follow you. So to make this work, the two preachers said Jesus was so powerful, so magnetic, just oozed spiritual authority that when he said, follow me, they got up out of the boat and began to follow Jesus. Now, I do believe Jesus was magnetic. I believe he was charismatic. I believe he oozed spiritual authority. But I do not think that's why they followed him. 
because they already knew him. But where do we find that? Flip over to John chapter 1. No, 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 no. Before you flip to John chapter 1, I want you to put a little arrow between verses 13 and 14. Mark chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Put a little arrow right there and put in the margin of your Bible, one year is skipped over in the ministry of Jesus. One year is skipped over in the ministry of Jesus. Now, where is that year? Now turn to John chapter 1. John chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4 occurs in between verses 13 and 14 of Mark chapter 1. Did, did you follow me on that? Is everybody with me? And so what happens in John chapter 1, Jesus, he's, he's down in Judea, which is the southern uh, part of, of the promised land, and he's teaching. And, excuse me. John the Baptist is really doing the ministry. And, and John chapter 1 is a series of four days. It picks up in uh, verse 19 is the first day and John the Baptist has this confrontation with the Pharisees and then you get to verse I think it's 29 and it says at the beginning and the next day see that did I get it right all right in verse 35 it says the next day I think verse 43 it says the next day so here are four days on the second day, Jesus is coming to where John the Baptist is, and he's, Jesus is just returning from his 40 days fasting in the wilderness, and John the Baptist looks up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then you get to the next day, he says the same thing. Jesus walks up and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And at that point, that third day, there are two disciples. I don't know why I put them on either side of him, but in my mind, there's Andrew on the right and there's this unnamed disciple on the left. We believe the unnamed disciple is John because he's writing the gospel of John as the eyewitness. And so he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And they, these two walk up to Jesus and he said, they say, where are you staying? He says, come and see. And then in verse 41, Andrew runs to his brother and he says some of the most powerful words in Scripture. He says, we have found the Messiah. We found the Messiah. Now, let me try to bring these three passages together. Let's look at this map. So my question is, what are, what are Andrew, and assuming his brother Peter, because he goes and he finds his brother Peter, and John, and probably James, because they're all these fishermen, what are they doing down in Judea when they lived up north in Capernaum and fished the Sea of Galilee? What are they doing way down here? So let me play this out. You see Galilee at the top, Samaria in the middle, Judea at the bottom. And if, if, we, if I had chosen to, we could have put the other two districts of Palestine. The Decapolis up at the upper right and Perea, which they call back then beyond the Jordan. Bottom left, bottom right, bottom right. 
they're up here fishing. They catch fish at night and they don't have refrigeration. So how do they keep these fish? They come along on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a little city called Magdala. There's a famous lady from there, Mary of, Mary of Magdala, Magdalene. They pickle their fish. Then, so the last load is being pickled. I bring a new load, I pick up the last load, it's pickled, now I can travel. They come underneath the southern part of the Sea of Galilee, cross the Jordan River, get on the Transjordan Highway, go down south, they turn west at Jericho, then they go up the climb to Jerusalem, sell their fish. Now they have some shekels in their pocket. And so they can take a little time off. And what they liked to do was they would turn on the radio and listen to their favorite rabbi. But the radios didn't work back then, so they had to walk and find them. Their favorite rabbi was John the Baptist. And they would listen to him. And then one day, John the Baptist, their favorite rabbi, says, Andrew, there he is, the Lamb of God. That's the one. And so from that day on, they have a new favorite rabbi, Jesus. But you know, dad's going to be mad if we don't get back up there and sell some fish or catch some fish. So they go back up the Transjordan Highway, they get back up to Capernaum, they do some more fishing, they throw their nets out, and then they do the process all over again for a whole year. They're coming back and they're finding Jesus. And what's Jesus doing? John chapter 3, about verse 22, 23, it says Jesus is doing a lot of baptizing. Then John the Baptist gets thrown in jail. And Jesus goes up north. And he's going by the Sea of Galilee, Mark chapter 1. And he sees Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, in the boat, mending the net, or in the boat. He says, it's time. Come on. Let's go. We're going to change the world. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Are you ready? He's the Messiah. He's the Lamb of God. I'm going to follow this man. So... You ready? Let's go. I'm absolutely ready. We, we've been waiting. And for about six months, they follow him. There's another one in there, Levi, Mark chapter 2. Then, six months later, go ahead, Perry. Six months later, then Jesus, out of all these folks following him, he calls 12 to be with him to send them out to preach. And a year and a half later, it's time. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So, you follow me. I'm just giving you context, okay? So with this information, the question is, so what? Now I want to, I want to make two applications this morning. One is to you personally as an individual and the second to us corporately as a church as we look to the Global Impact Conference. All right. 
Let's put it all together first. There are four transitions that we've just looked at. Four transitions. In that John chapter 1 passage, Peter and Andrew, John, Philip and Nathaniel, we didn't go that far. Those five moved from outsiders to these young new believers. Then we get to the Mark, that's John chapter 1, we get to Mark chapter 1. He says, follow me. They move from this following Jesus when it's convenient, when I'm there in Judea, to now they're following out of this commitment. They're following 24 hours a day, seven days a week, long before he called the 12 to be with him. They're doing these little ministry trips. You can see that at the end of Mark chapter 1, uh, picking up with about verse 38. And so they're following him, and it's intense. They move from these young believers to these committed disciples. Then we get to Mark chapter 3. They move from these committed disciples. He's going to turn them into effective workers. I want you to be with me because I'm going to ultimately send you out to preach. But I need to equip you right now. And then you get to the end of the gospel, the end of the gospels. And there's this focus on the Great Commission. And they move from effective workers to what? Kathy Cochran introduced me, Miller, sorry David, introduced this new vocabulary, these world Christians. So what is, what's the definition of these five target groups? An outsider has no relationship with Christ. And, and I loved you getting choked up. I cry easily when somebody crosses over into a real relationship with God. Okay? So they have no relationship with God. A new believer needs somebody to feed them spiritually. A committed disciple, they can feed themselves spiritually. Now, now look up here and put your name up here. An effective worker can feed somebody. In a world, Christians taking personal responsibility for the evangelization of the world. Now, you are, you are one of these five groups. They're the five target groups of Scripture. And you're one of them. Now, when I saw this, let me give you, let me give you one other little chart here. I call these four tactics. To move an outsider to a new believer, that's evangelism. To move a, a new believer to a committed disciple, that's establishing. Where do we get that word? Colossians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. That you um, be built up and established in your faith. Established. Now, a lot of times people use the word discipleship. But really the next, the, the bottom three, establishing, equipping, extending, they're all discipleship. It's just a phase of discipleship. It's focusing on maturity. The next phase of discipleship focuses on ministry. I'm being equipped for ministry. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He gave some as apostles, some as apostle, uh, apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of all of us for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We're, some of us are called to be professional ministers. The rest of us are called to be uh, ministering professionals, professional minister, ministering professionals. We all minister, all of us. 
And then somebody has become a world Christian. They have taken personal responsibility. That happened to me, 1987, because of those three young ladies. And I'm grateful to God. It's changed my life. We began a great adventure. So I took this and we put it in the, a diagram. And I call these the stair steps to spiritual maturity. You are on one of these stair steps. Which one? Are you at the ground level and, and, and you're, you've never crossed over to a real relationship with the Lord? Or have you gone up that first step through evangelism and you're a new believer? Or have you gone up to the next step because of establishing and you're a committed disciple? Or have you gone up the next step because of equipping and you're an, an effective worker? You can feed others. Or the GIC, the Global Impact Conference, is next week. Have you taken personal responsibility for the evangelization of the world? It doesn't mean you have to be a goer. But are you playing your part? All of us are at one of those steps. So that's the first application. Where are you? Now, what gets the church in trouble is we put some people on that third step or fourth step, however you want to look at it, as an effective worker. They're teaching the youth, but, but they've, they've never really reached the second step, and they're not established. They can't feed themselves. How are they supposed to feed others? Or we send somebody overseas into a difficult people group, and they've never been equipped. We get in a lot of trouble that way. So, first applicant, where are you? Let's keep going. I, I hate this diagram, by the way, because it makes it look like everybody gets to the top and then it gets real crowded and they start falling off. <laughs> so I don't like it, it's just real static. So we changed it and we put it together in a cycle that, that shows momentum, it shows it's, it's more dynamic. So here's the cycle. Jesus comes in and he evangelizes. Then he establishes, and then he begins to equip the 12, and then he extends them. He mobilizes them for the, for the world evangelization, to make Jesus' name famous among the nations, and he ascends into heaven. And then they go and they repeat the cycle, and the cycle gets repeated, and it multiplies. And I love the power of multiplication, because here's, here's the second application, and I'm going to play this out. Second application to us corporately as a church. We cannot impact the globe through addition. We just can't do it. The only way we can globally impact the world is through multiplication. Because the world's growing too quickly. So let me illustrate, if I may, the power of multiplication. But I need to borrow somebody's Bible. Sam, now I'm going to rip a page out of it. Is that all right? Sam, you've never let me down before. All right, all right, that's all right. So, if you take... <laughs> 
If you take a piece of paper out of your, a page out of your Bible, it's a little thinner than this right here, and you fold that page, you fold it 64 times, how, how tall do you think this piece of paper would be at the 64th fold? Now, you're already mad at me because I said you're wrong. Um, so now you're like, I'm not answering any question. All right, so let me give you the answer because I knew this was on the tip of your tongue. It's 291 billion miles tall. Now, you don't believe me. So, Perry, first slide, please. I have here the folds inches. The piece of paper in your Bible is about five hundredths of an inch thick. So about a thousand pages would be an inch. About five hundredths of an inch. Inches, feet, miles. It takes ten folds before it ever reaches an inch. It only takes four more folds to reach a foot, right? One inch, that's folded again, two inches, folded again, four inches, folded again, eight inches, folded again, sixteen inches. One foot, four inches. Next slide, please, Perry. 26 folds. Let's go out in the parking lot and do it after church. 26 folds, it reaches a mile. 44, on the 44th fold, next slide, please, Perry. On the 44th fold, you can climb it up to the moon. Fold 51, 52, 53, somewhere in there, it reaches the sun. It's the power of multiplication. Just try it this afternoon. Let me give you another illustration. There's this old uh, parable story in India. The emperor went to the wise man. He had a question. The wise man gave him the answer. And so the emperor says, whatever you request, I will give you is an expression of my appreciation for helping with my problem. So the wise man came back and he said, I want you to put a grain of wheat on the chessboard. That's where chess was invented. And then double it on every square. And then just give me the amount of wheat now, I know that's, go ahead and click, um, Perry, please. Keep going. I know that's rice, but pretend it's wheat, okay? I just want you to give me the wheat that would be on the 64th square. And the emperor goes, that's all you want? Yes, emperor, that, that's, that would be sufficient. How much wheat? Now, I want you to dream big. How much wheat on the 64th square? The answer is a lot. <laughs> it would cover India 50 feet deep. You can get home and you know, your husband's going to be opening up the cabinet and says, where's that wheat? And, and he's going to start doing it. Let's do one more. Are any of you concerned about the national debt? 
I've, I've got it solved. Just vote for me. <laughs> Take a penny. All we have to do, one penny, just one penny, and double it every day. And on day 51, it's growing so quickly, maybe 52, we'll have enough money to eliminate the national debt and have a lot of money left over. It's multiplication. It's just multiplication. So, so here's my question. Woodland Hills Community Church, are we multiplying new believers? Are we leading people to Christ? No, say, yep, our pastor, get after it. No. His job is to equip us. Our job is to get after it. And get some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Are we multiplying disciples? I think you're doing a good job there. Are we multiplying leaders, effective leaders? Are we multiplying them? Now, equipping other leaders is messy because you have to give them freedom to make mistakes. It's messy. But I'd rather have messy momentum than clean, orderly, everything's fine, status quo. See, we equip them, let them make mistakes. But then when it comes to next week's Global Impact Conference, we will not reach the world through addition. It's only through multiplication because the world's population is growing way too quickly. So here's one last illustration. What would happen if we started following not just what the Bible teaches us to believe, not what the Bible teaches just what the Bible teaches us how to behave, but if also started following what the Bible teaches us in how to minister. And we started following the same cycle Jesus did, where he says, come and see. And become a new believer. And we say, follow me. And they move up the next stair step to this committed disciple. And we say, come be with me. And I'm going to equip you for effective ministry. And then at a certain point we say, now go. Get after it. And we're not just adding one or two here and there, but we're multiplying. So it comes down to two applications. Us individually, where are we in the spiritual, the stair steps of spiritual maturity? When it comes to us corporately, 
are we multiplying with the vision? We have the vision. But we have to multiply. You just can't reach the world for Christ through addition. We have to multiply. So the next, next week, let's pray big. Let's pray people in amongst us moves up a level. And let's pray that we corporately move up a level. Let's make a difference for Jesus. Let's pray, Pastor. Father God, thank you for this church. Lord, thank you for the people in here. Lord, particularly Kathy. Lord, I, I'm just grateful to God for her. Grateful to you for her. And Father, I pray that um, you continue blessing her and David's ministry. Father, I pray that you bless this church. Father, I pray that the young people in this church would reach people for Christ in their high schools. And Father, they would, they would long to move to the next level. Father, I'm burdened for not just the world, but for this city. God, would you use us to impact both. May we transform the spiritual landscape of every unreached waffle pocket in every city block downtown. In Jesus' name, amen.